Philip said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus said to him, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. But if you do not, then believe me because of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and in fact, will do greater works than these because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask me for anything, I will do it. This is the word of life. Did you hear about that book that came out a few years ago called The Last Lecture? The Last Lecture was indeed that. It was given by a professor who was distinguished in his career, but in his middle years was diagnosed with cancer, had beat it once, but then had a recurrence. And as so often happens, the medical staff he was working with said, we have done all that we can. This is a terminal diagnosis. You will die from this. And so he began to really reflect on his life. And what he had learned as an academic as well as a person, he began to think about the young children that he had, and he decided to open up one of the big auditoriums and classrooms at the university where he taught to give his final lecture or the last lecture. They videotaped it. It was a full house, so many students knowing that he was dying, and these were his final instructions, sort of a summary of what he thought was most important. The videotape was put on YouTube, and within 30 days, over a million people had watched the lecture. Publishers decided to make it a book, published the book, became very popular as well. Maybe you saw it. But part of the reason it was so poignant was not only what he had to say, but the fact that people knew this was it, that he was close to death. And he would not speak again. We have a similar situation in the Gospel of John this morning. We have begun to read in the middle of a conversation between Jesus and his closest disciples on the last night that he's going to be with them on earth. This is it. These are his final instructions, if you will. We began reading these last words. Last week, in the beginning of the 14th chapter, Jesus is telling them not to be troubled. Thomas, as you remember, if you were here last week, is troubled. He says, wait, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. And then he goes on to the last verse we read last week and says, If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. And then that's where Philip tags on to where we began to read today and says, Lord, show us the Father, then we will be satisfied. And then Jesus speaks next 
and listen for the frustration or maybe it's disappointment or maybe it's exasperation, maybe even anger. But Jesus says to him, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still do not know me? Have I been with you all this time, according to the Gospel of John, three years now, and they still don't understand? Jesus goes on and says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? You can sense that Jesus has been trying to help them make this connection, and he must be at least a little frustrated, if not really angry, that these disciples don't seem to be putting it together. They don't see the resemblance between Jesus the Son and God the Father. As I was reading and thinking about that, Earlier this week, it reminded me of growing up in Okmulgee, Oklahoma. I was born and raised there, but a peculiar thing began to happen to me about the time I turned 16. I would be at church or in a business, and somebody would stop me that I did not know and say, aren't you Alvin Wiggs' son? And I would say, well, yes, and then we'd have a pleasant conversation because they knew my dad and they could see the resemblance. It happened to me over and over a few times it even happened, I was just walking down the street in Omogie, and a person I did not know would stop me with the same inquiry. Aren't you Alvin Wiggs' son? Well, yes, I am. They could see the family resemblance. They were making the connection between father and son. I think that's what Jesus is hoping for with his disciples, but they seem to be slow in getting this they don't seem to be making the connection he wants them to make here again what he says to them whoever has seen me has seen the father how can you say show us the father do you not believe that i am in the father and the father is in me the words that i say to you i do not speak on my own but the father who dwells in me does his works but the father who dwells in me does his works leslie d weatherhead is one of our great british methodist pastors from last century he was talking about understanding this passage and he wrote what i think is very helpful he has a great image i think here that can help us he writes this i live near the sea my garden gate is 150 yards from the beach. I can see the sea from the desk at which I write. In the deep midnight, I can hear its ceaseless music as I lie in bed. I have only to walk down to the shore and get a beaker full of water and have it chemically analyzed to know the nature of the vast Atlantic of which it is a part. Jesus, if one may be allowed so to express the matter reverently, was a vessel full of God. Christ tells me as much about the nature of God as I need to know or am capable of knowing. There are limitations in human nature, however glorified by the divine, as there are limitations in a beaker when one seeks to explore all the secrets of the Atlantic. But I know the sea is salt even from the contents of a homely vessel, and I know that God is love even by contemplating the man the man Christ Jesus this is an 
great image for us to think about the relationship between God and Jesus. It's a recurring theme throughout the Gospel of John, this idea that Jesus and God the Father are so close that all that Jesus does is what the God the Father tells him. That If he says something, it's because God has him say it. If he does a work, it's because God is working in him. All that's happening, according to the Gospel of John, in Jesus is that God is flowing through him. In seminary, when we study it, it's called eminence theology. It affirms that God is present and even pervasive in our world, that God is alive in time and space. And therefore, because of this close relationship, Jesus can speak as he does in John in this passage and so many other places to say, God dwells in me. Most other religions will not make that claim. That's somehow denigrating God. That somehow is impossible. And yet that's the claim we make as Christians is that God is alive in Christ. There's also in Christian theology the other side of that. We make another affirmation, which is that God is transcendent. That God is beyond time and space some writers write just about the imminence or the closeness of God others write about and emphasize just the transcendence and the otherness of God but in the gospel of John he wants us to hold both of these together even though some think they're opposites all through the gospel of John he says oh no to understand the fullness of God you need to understand both of these you remember how John starts his gospel He starts with a theme very similar to this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and without Him not one thing came into being. And then just a few verses later, John goes ahead to say, and the Word became flesh and lived among us. The Word was there in the beginning, helping create everything, transcendence. And then just a few verses later, John brings it so very close and says, God has come to us in human form and lived among us. That's all in chapter 1. But where we read today, you can hear the same themes in verses 11 and 12. Believe me, Jesus says, that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. But if you do not, then believe me because of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and in fact, will do greater works than these because I am going to the Father. Can you hear that Jesus is saying, God is right here with us, and yet God is far beyond us. And in fact, Jesus says, because I am going away, God will be able to do greater things through you because that power that is transcendent will be available to you as you believe in me and love me and follow me. Our ability to work in the world, to spread God's love effectively, actually comes from this twin dynamics, this imminence and this transcendence, God here within us and God beyond us. 
Jesus doesn't just state it in the part we read. If you have your Bibles open later in the same conversation, in verse 23, Jesus says, Those who love me will keep my word, and my Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. And then just a little bit later in the same conversation, chapter 15, Jesus uses this vivid image I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me, and I in them, bear much fruit, because apart from me, you can do nothing. There is blessing and power in making the connection that God is alive in Christ. There is blessing in knowing that the God of the universe is also a God who loves you. And as you love Christ, leads you to life, life abundant and life eternal. This theme is woven throughout the Gospel of John if you read through it. John wants us to know that Jesus was sent to us to bring us life. And it's life abundant, but it's also life eternal. And it's not just after life that we have eternal life, but as soon as we make the connection that God is alive in Christ, John says that's when eternal life starts for each and every one of us. On this memorial weekend, we are remembering those who lived among us and have passed on. And we've lifted in prayer those who are grieving the loss of one they knew and loved. And yet we do it with the promise of eternal life. That God is with us in life and death and life beyond death. Christ promises us that he not only came to this earth to share God's love, but to lead us home, to be with our God, a loving Father forever. We read a few verses last week that I think we would do well to read again in this context on this weekend. Jesus says these words at the very beginning of chapter 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go... And prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. Let me close with a story I just read recently about a fellow named John Todd. John was born in Vermont in the 1800s. Life was pretty rough where John was born and where he was being raised. But it got even worse before he was very old. Tragedy struck when he was only six years old. Within a short span of time, both of his parents died. He was left an orphan. But he had a kindly aunt that got the word that he had been orphaned, and she agreed to take him and raise him in her own home. The day came when she was to come and pick him up. But she didn't come. She sent someone else. And this young lad was really upset, expecting his aunt. And then a man he had never met, kind of a stranger, was picking him up and put him on a horse saying, we're going to your aunt's. His anxiety and fear just filled him up. He began to cry. 
After a while, though, he sort of seemed to settle in as they were riding on this long ride back to his aunt's house. But it was so far away that darkness fell before they arrived. And the fear began to build within him again. And he finally said to the man who was taking him, Do you think she'll be awake when we get there? Will she wait up for me? And the man said, Oh, I am sure that she will be there, and she will be awake, and she'll be waiting for you. He said, In fact, when we get out of these woods, there will be a clearing, and you will be able to see across the clearing to her home. And I assure you, there will be a candle burning. You'll know she's awake and looking for you to come. Well, he got there. He grew up there. He felt a call into ministry. He went away to seminary. And while he was gone to seminary, this aunt who had raised him began to be really sick. She fell ill. And she began to think about death. And it really began to worry her. And she wrote him a letter telling him of her angst. He wrote her back and reminded her of that very day. And how dark it was for him. And how troubled he was. But how she had been there, and sure enough, when he got there, she came out on the porch and lifted him off the horse and hugged him and took him inside and fed him a meal and then tucked him in the bed. And he said, you remember, you sat there with me until I fell asleep. It was wonderful. And then after reminding her of all that, he wrote these words to his aunt. Don't fear the summons. The strange journey or the dark messenger of death, God can be trusted to do as much for you as you were kind enough to do for me so many years ago. At the end of the road, you will find love 